morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8 as we continue our journey through John. Uh, I got a call Friday and uh, I, I didn't recognize the number. I picked it up and said, are you buttoning your coat? Okay, this is an interesting question. And so it just kind of took me off guard. I said, uh, um, and he says, when you preach, are you buttoning your coat? And I said, Dr. Thomas, uh, my professor uh, of preaching at Central Baptist College was calling uh, just to kind of talk with me. Uh, we've been trying to reconnect uh, for some stuff that, that, uh, that I was needing him to do. And, and so he calls me up and he was always big on get that coat buttoned. So I'm starting off today with a, with a button coat. It's feeling pretty tight. I don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, I mainly tell you that story uh, to pray for him. He's just coming off a, a battle with uh, brain cancer. Uh, as of now, he's cancer-free, uh, but he's, of course, still dealing with the effects as an older man, uh, dealing with the effects of the treatments and things that he had. So be in, in prayer. This is a man that uh, has meant a lot to me, uh, a man that uh, awakened early my affections for preaching the Word, and, and uh, there's not a week goes by that, that I'm not using the things that he taught me in preaching class. So please be in prayer for Dr. Jesse uh, Thomas. Uh, I'd, I'd appreciate that. So this morning we want to talk about life in unbelief. And we want to talk about how life in un unbelief brings death and darkness. So starting with verse 12, it says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two peoples is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about, uh, that he was been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. 
And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. Now, last week we, we kind of broke off to look at uh, the woman that had been called in adultery, right? And, and since we did that, I don't want you to lose the context of what's happening here. Uh, John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, with the exception of the story of the woman called in adultery, is one dialogue. Uh, it's one dialogue that kind of goes the last half of the Feast of Booths, so it's likely an interrupted dialogue, but what we're covering over weeks is, act, is actually minutes of dialogue that Jesus preached to those people in the temple at the end of this Feast of Booths. And as we return this morning, we return to Jesus teaching about himself. He's, uh, he's just used the water ceremony at the conclusion of the Feast of Booths, that, and he has proclaimed himself, if you remember, if you remember a couple weeks ago, he, is, he proclaimed himself, I am the water that brings salvation. And so Jesus, as he concludes this, as he concludes this dialogue, um, he is going to really talk a lot about the condition of the people he's talking to that are in unbelief. Now we know John, towards the end of the Gospel of John, he actually says, I've written this, so he's written this entire Gospel, so that you may believe and that you may have life. And so Jesus is teaching here, as he wraps up this dialogue about himself, he's really going to hit on that, and and there's no wonder that that John includes this in his Gospel, because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about their unbelief and the consequences of their unbelief. In the next couple of weeks, the next couple of sermons, we'll look at uh, life and unbelief and how it brings slavery and how it brings enslavement. And then the, 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 the week after that, we'll look at um, life and unbelief uh, orphans, that, that, that our unbelief makes us orphans from God. But today, we want to talk about the fact that our life and unbelief puts us in darkness and brings death to us. So the main idea that I want you to, to, to understand this morning is simply this. In our unbelief, we are in darkness and will die in our sins. But Christ is the light that gives life to all who believe. The consequences, right? Is, is we're in dark, those in unbelief are in darkness. And if you don't escape that darkness, you're going to die in your sins. But... Thanks be to God that Christ provides a way. He is the light that shines into that darkness. He is the life that brings, uh, that brings life to our dead status. So the first thing I want you to notice is, is how he proclaims himself as light here. The verse, first verse, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Once again, we need to realize that Jesus is not pulling an illustration out of thin air. Okay, once again, he's, he's feeding off what's going around him in the Feast of Booths to present and to proclaim these things about himself. The close of the Feast of Booths, the night it closed out, there was this huge lighting ceremony, and there was a small lighting ceremony every night of the Feast of Booths. But man, in, the, in this last day, you had a huge, huge lighting ceremony and in this area where jesus was teaching in the in the the place for the women uh they had four uh, candelabras 
okay, that each contained four candles. And we're talking big candles because the wicks were actually made from the priest's clothes. Okay, so this is in tiny little candles. This is huge, huge candles. And, and they would light up the temple. And then everybody around the temple that, that lived around the temple, they would light their torches in, in, in symbolism of, of, uh, of the light of God, right? And uh, the, uh, the Pharisees are, uh, used to, to brag that you could see the temple from Galilee on this night. So it was, it was a big deal. The temple in the city of Jerusalem was lit up in an amazing way. Can you imagine the scene? In this, especially in this primitive setting, I remember my first time to go to Espavel, Nicaragua, where there was no electricity. And I remember getting there, and, and there was lights in the church. I was like, this is great. Uh, and realized, I heard a sound, I was like, okay, there's a generator that's, that's bringing light to the church, and, and so we ate our supper, this was the first night we were there, and man, then the generator ran out of gas, darkness, and then it was like, it's bedtime, I mean, there's nothing else to do, it's not like in our world where you have street lights and, and, and all this light in our houses, it was just, okay, bedtime, you would lay there and, and in that darkness listen to the chickens and the dogs barking and and that, that was just that, that first, it was eerie, being in that primitive setting of absolute darkness. And, and you think about it, it, Jerusalem is a place where, man, at night, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have a bunch of street lights. So imagine the beauty of this night. I mean, I imagine that the kids, the children were probably staying out late playing because, hey, we can see. They're probably like, like they'll be this week, you know, with that extra hour of daylight, extended playtime. And they were out there and they were just enjoying the light that, that Jerusalem had on this night being lit up by the temple. So think about that. In this moment, everyone is basking in, in the fact that for this one night, light overcomes the darkness that plagues us every night. And in that, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. We'll have the light of life. So in this moment where, where light is conquering the darkness, he says, hey, there's no reason for you to ever walk in darkness. If you have me, you have the light of life. Now John loves, he loves the picture of light. Okay, if you remember back in uh, the opening of John, in, in his gospel, he, he starts in verse 5. In chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9 he said, of, the, of the first chapter, he says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. If you turn over to his, even his epistles that he's writing to the church, he talks about God is light and in him there is no darkness. He talks about Christians are to walk in the light. And so John is moved by this, by this picture, and, and we see here that it's not something he just made up. Hey, I think I want to call Jesus light. That's a great picture. No, he heard Jesus in the midst of the lights of Jerusalem, of the, of the temple ceremony, the temple lighting ceremony. He heard Jesus proclaim, I am the light of the world. And it impacted John, and it should impact us as well because we live in a world of darkness we live in a world where there's a lot of darkness and so it's such a simple beautiful picture to think of christ as the light that brings that darkness to an end 
We see here that, uh, that he's, he calls himself, I'm the light of the world, of the world while Jerusalem is lit up for this night and it's local and it's right there. And in, like, like I said, if you live in Galilee, you can look across there and you can see Jerusalem lit up. No, the, the, the light of Christ is for the world to enjoy. This is why we as a church, we're not just about the corner of, of Wyatt and Hillsboro. As much as we, we definitely, absolutely want to love our community and, and, and to do, and we do, we, we do many ministries here in El Dorado to spread the gospel. We also realize that it's not just a light for El Dorado, it's a light for the world. This very week, we're sending out a team, as we always do at spring break, as we have for 12 years, 13, 14 years, spring break. And these folks are, are going to, to be in a van for three or four hours. They're going to jump on a plane for a few hours. They're going to be in a truck for over 12 hours. They're going to be on a boat for five hours. They're going to walk for four hours. Why? Because we, have, as we as Wyatt Baptist Church in El Dorado know of a brand new community, La Concepcion. And we know that there's a community there that, though they are in darkness because they don't have electricity yet, we know that their greatest need is the light of Christ. And so and we, we know that they exist because of our connections with Espavel. And so we're going to go reach them. We want to go make sure that as that community grows, that they know the light of Christ. And that is our heart as a church. To, to shine the light of Christ into the world that so desperately needs it. That's why we go on mission trips. Because he is the light of the world. And we don't want to just keep him here to ourselves. And then after this great, this, this great uh, declaration, of course the Pharisees, very skeptical, they again que- question the witness of Jesus in verses 13 through 20. Uh, we see that they say, hey, you're bearing witness about yourself. Now, it's custom that if you're going to set up here and talk about being the light of the world, you're going to need somebody to vouch for you. That's, that's, the, that's the customary law. And we know that Jesus has already done this. Right? Back when uh, he was in Jerusalem, last time he was in Jerusalem, when he got in trouble for healing the, uh, the paralytic and, and that man carrying his mat he got in you know he started questioning what did he say he he gave four witnesses he gave john the baptist he said look at my works he said look to my father and look to the scriptures so he's already done this he's already stood before them and said here are the witnesses and so finally he says you know what I could give my, the witnesses again but you're not going to believe me here's the reality is I don't live by that law My authority doesn't come from some witness. My authority comes because I know my origins. I'm from the Father, and I know where I'm going. I'm going back to the Father, and that's my authority. I need no earthly witness. I need no man to tell you who I am. But then he does, of course, um, in verse 17... 
He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So he does go back and he says, besides that, there is a witness. It's the Father. And they ask in verse 19, where is your Father? And Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These are men that were supposed to be experts in the law. They were supposed to know the Word of God. And Jesus says, you don't even, you don't know my Father. That's why you don't know me. You don't know me, therefore you don't know the Father. It's interesting, if you look at, if you look in the Scriptures and in the time of Jesus, it seems like those that were sincere worshipers of the Father, okay, I think about people like John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist's followers seem to be sincere. Uh, I look at men like Nicodemus that, that seem to truly be in a pursuit of the worship of God. It wasn't, for, it wasn't the power trip that the Pharisees seem to be on, that, that a lot of these Pharisees seem to be on. It seemed to be a sincere worship of God. And what happens when they come into contact with Jesus, they recognize him. John the Baptist goes, that's the Lamb of God. Nicodemus says, hey, I recognize that you're from God. So we see that those, that the, the, the deepest problem that these people have is that they don't know God. So they don't recognize his son. And so Jesus is going to just describe to them <clears throat> the stark reality of their unbelief. Look at verse 21. He, it says, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I'm going you cannot come. And their, their response is dumb. Their response is, what is he talking about? We can't go where he's going. Is he going to commit suicide? Is he going to kill himself? Like what is, he, what is he talking about? They just, they don't get it. They just can't get past their unbelief. And so what Jesus is going to teach them is that the place where their continued unbelief leads is dying in their sins, right? The wages of sin is death. To die in your sin is the most tragic thing that can happen to you. The opportunity to believe in Christ has passed. Your eternal destination is now secure. The day of salvation is has come to a close. And Jesus so wants to get this point across that he says this phrase, you're going to die in your sins. He says it three times in four verses. He wants them, he's, he's warning them. He's giving them the bad news. And we do a great disservice with the gospel when we do not explain the stark realities, the consequences of unbelief. In verse 23, he said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. So he's saying, while, while he came from his father, you came from a different father. You were born in your unbelief. And unless something changes, you're going to die in the full and absolute consequences of your sinful choices, your sinful rebellion. 
folks going back to kind of missions this is why our fourth core value as a church is urgency and global missions folks do, do we really live do we really live as if we believe people are dying in the full consequences of their sin is that really the life that we're living when we we go to those around us in El Dorado when we, you know, this is why we don't say, hey, one day we'll go to Nicaragua. This is why we consistently go to Nicaragua. This is why we'd love to add other countries that we are going to because we need to truly live in the urgency that people are dying in the full consequences of their sin. And we need to get over fears and and, oh, what will they think of me if I share Christ with them? Who, who cares? They could die in their sins. We need to have an urgency. We need to be a church that desires to rescue others as we've been graciously rescued. So is there good news? Indeed there is, because it says, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Unless Unless, unless is this beautiful word that if it comes with bad news, it provides the alternative, right? This is what you long to hear after bad news. You will die of cancer within a year unless you will fail this class unless we're getting a divorce unless. We will lose this game unless we always hope that that word unless accompanies bad news. And thanks be to Christ and the Father who sent him that dying in our sins is accompanied with an unless. Amen. And that unless is simply this. For unless you believe that I am he. What lifts you from the despair of dying in your sins and sets you into the safety of being in Christ is a belief that He is the I Am. He is the divine Son of God. So they ask Him, they say, so who are you? You say, we need to believe that you are I Am. So who are you? So Jesus answers their question more about what He's going to do. He helps them, he expands who he is by talking about what is going to happen. Verse 25, Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They do not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus says here, I've been telling you from the beginning. I, I was telling you, when you were griping at me for, for raising the paralytic. I've constantly in my discourse been telling you who I am. I called myself the water of salvation. I've called myself the, the light of the world. I've said again and again, I'm the bread of life. How can you not get it? He tells them, I'm just simply doing what my Father commanded me to do. And so here, starting verse 28, is when he tells them what he's going to do. 
So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. And this idea of of lifting Jesus up is found a few times in, in the Gospel of John. It's referenced in John 3.14 in the discourse to Nicodemus. He talks about the sun being lifted up. And in, later in John chapter 12, verses 33 through 34, he's going to once again talk about being lifted up. And, he, and here's what it says in that verse. He adds this. He says uh, that the reason he uses this lifting up language was to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so it seems like when, when Jesus spe- speaks of, hey, I'm going to be lifted up, it's kind of this twofold, this twofold event, right? The lifting up off of the earth to be put on the cross, to die this horrible, horrible death. But then also that's, that does, doesn't end there, right? He goes into the grave, and then he is lifted up by the Father back to the glory he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. And so he's directing them to this whole process of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Jesus cannot seem to stress this enough that he and the Father could not be more on the same page about all of this. Because of their great love for one another and their desire to bring us into that love, Jesus is going to be lifted up so that all who believe on him will be brought into the love of the Father and the Son. That we will not die in our sins, but that we will die in the safety and the righteousness of Christ. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, the call is very simple from this text. You will either remain in your unbelief, remain in the darkness of unbelief, until you die in your sins, unless, and I hope this is true, unless you believe on Christ you really believe in all that he's done for you, the, his life, his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his identity as the Son of God, all you must do is, is believe. And you will not die in your sins, but you will die in the safety and righteousness of Christ. In Christian... First of all, you should get up every morning with the gospel on your heart. You should wake up every morning thinking about the fact that I'm not going to die in my sin. You should wake up every morning amazed that though you deserve to die in your sins, that you have been graciously saved by the gospel of Christ. 
But then also I would urge you to realize that that light wasn't just for you. But that light was for the whole world. That light was for those who you will come in contact with today. That light was, is for people that you have an opportunity to, to love through our church in Nicaragua or Ukraine or Chicagoland or Albuquerque or wherever we might go. But that light is for the whole world. Let's live our core value of urgency and gospel mission. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you sent Christ to be the light of the world. God, if there be anyone here who is still in their sin, God, I pray that they would not die in their sin, but that they would live the beautiful unless that comes through believing in Christ. And God, help us to be a church that lives in the urgency of gospel missions. God, move in our hearts this morning. Help us to respond to your amazing word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.